talking about a strategy for us to move from just being informed about Jesus to us being formed by Jesus. We want to move to this space where we're actually not just being educated, but we're being formed, which means that we're actually practicing our faith and living it out on a consistent basis. Uh, I've told this story before, but as I was thinking through how to start this week, this was the story that was in my mind, and I just couldn't get away from it. Uh, about two years ago, uh, our family went to Tennessee for Thanksgiving, and it was my parents and my sister and her kids, and we rented a place, and we were in the mountains, and we were just kind of gathering together. It was right when the pandemic stuff was going on, and it was the first time we'd seen each other in about a year, and my daughter is 12 which means she is the photographer for everything uh, because she never sets down her phone and she just captures everything. Uh, she got her Instagram account for the first time this week. Pray for me. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. There are scary things in the interworld. And, but, uh, but she's on social media and all those things all the time. And so she was just taking pictures all weekend. And, and, uh, and, and so it was the end. It was like Sunday. Everybody was getting ready to leave and go home. And Claire said, hey, let's all sit down and let's look at all the pictures of all the fun stuff we did. We had gone hiking, we'd been in the mountains, we'd been in the river, we'd been like all over the place doing all kinds of fun stuff. And she said, let's just sit down and let's look at all this stuff. And she started showing these pictures and there was one set of pictures where she was taking them from the balcony and the way the house was set up was there was like a fire pit down at the bottom and she was taking shots from up above and she was snapping pictures and she was like scrolling through all of these pictures. And... And I stopped for a second, and I was like, wait a minute. Who is that kind of chubby guy with graying hair that's walking around down there starting the fire? And I honestly, I was like, I don't, who is that? Per like, that's not part of, that person's not part of our family. Who, <laughs> did like a random person just show up? And, and then she started scrolling a little more, and then one of them, the, the chubby person with gray hair, had actually turned towards the camera, and it was me. And I was, I honestly, I had this moment where I was like, do I, like, do I not see myself clearly? I don't know, so a lot of the older people in the room are laughing, the younger people are like, just stone-faced, they don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but, but there's this moment where I, we, we, I, I had to evaluate, like, maybe I don't see myself clearly. Maybe I can't picture myself actually the way that I look now. And so I started looking at, like, old pictures of, like, Sarah and I, and I was like, oh, that's how I remember us. Right? It's about 10 years after we were married. That's how I remember us. We're on year 22 now. So about 12 years ago is how I see myself, and that's not what I look like today. We all have this challenge of being able to see ourselves clearly, and if we can't see ourselves clearly, I can't imagine how difficult it is for us to see other people clearly. Jesus had this amazing ability to see people. He, he, he's sitting with the woman at the well, and he's actually able to see her real life. He sees beyond what's happening in that moment and what's happened in her past, and she see, he sees what she could be. He, he, he has all these moments with these disciples, even Judas, who's going to betray him, where he's sitting and he sees them. He sees them clearly. And, and in the Gospels, we see Jesus giving these kind of four invitations to the people that follow him. It's really simple, four invitations. But one of the things that we can think about when we think about discipleship is discipleship is the process of seeing people as Jesus sees them. 
It's the process of seeing because our seeing is often selective. Am I right? We, we see what we want to see, particularly when we look at other people. We see a portion of their life. We see a part of their life. We see a moment of our life. We see the self that others present to the world, and we receive that as all that's true about certain people. But something special happens when you're really seen. Am I right? I think this is the power of marriage. Nobody sees me more clearly than my wife. I can trick all of you guys every Sunday. She knows me. She knows my nonsense. She knows me when I'm in a bad mood. She knows me when I'm a jerk. She knows me when I'm frustrated and when I'm tired. And she also knows me when I'm at my best, when I'm super holy, when I'm loving the world, when I'm caring, when I'm doing the things that I was created to do. But over time, what happens is we really begin to see clearly the people that we're with. And something special begins to happen when you see each other. Jesus, uh, or, or, or Paul talks about we see with unveiled faces. We're known as we're actually known. And that's the beautiful thing about a relationship with God. And Jesus was a master at seeing. He recognized people, and once he saw them, he saw them as they were, he saw their past, he saw everything about them, but he also called out the best in them over and over and over again. And what, what often happens is we see other people, we want, we want others to see us through our intentions. Is that right? Like whenever something happens or something bad happens or something unfortunate happens, we want people to see like, oh, well, Ben was good-hearted in that. We want them to see our in good tensions, but we judge others by their actions. So we want to be viewed by our intentions, but we want to judge others by their actions. And what happens is we get in this mixed up place where we can't really see clearly. And so today, I want to talk about the four invitations of Jesus. And as we talk about those four invitations, I want to invite you to have a journey where you actually try and see into yourself where you actually begin to look at your intentions and you look at your motives and motivations and you look at your heart and you actually have this moment with Jesus where you say, search me and know me, search my heart. And if there's anything that's not from you, will you reveal it to me today? And so that's the invitation today. I'm gonna pray and then we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, I do ask right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would begin a work in our hearts and help us to see ourselves clearly. I pray that today you would do, do a new thing in us. I pray that you would reveal your mercies and your grace and your love and your kindness and that that kindness would lead us to repentance and it would lead us to seeing ourselves clearly so that we can be transformed by you. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the model of seeing and understanding. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. So a rule of life is not about our intentions, it's about our practices. And that's what's hard about it, is there's not a lot of us who are excited about disciplines right now. And we all have these different gaps of seeing in our life, this gap between where we think we are and where we actually are, these gaps between where we hoped we would be and where we exist right now, these gaps between the life that we see promised to us in Scripture and the life that we're actually living. And we live inside of these gaps over and over and over again, which causes us to ask this question, do we have an aspirational rule of life 
or do we have an actual rule of life? I don't know if you've ever been to a company or a business or, or somewhere where on their wall is written all their aspirational goals, but what's lived out is not there. I was at a, a, a restaurant the other day and, and there was all these signs about kindness and all these core values about kindness and the person at the register was not being kind. She was having a rough day and the sandwiches weren't getting out fast enough and she was unhappy. And I heard about seven curse words in about five minutes from her and there was just all this stuff going on and there was a gap between what was written on the wall, the aspirational goal, and what the actual goal that was being lived out in that moment was being displayed. Does that make sense? It doesn't just happen at a restaurant. It doesn't just happen with companies and corporations. We love to name that about companies and corporations. But it happens in all of us, right? We have this aspiration of who we want to be. We have these goals that are written on the walls of our life that we hope we would live into, but in actuality, we, we don't live into those things and we don't think through, how do I build my life around the invitations of Jesus? Because that's the goal for all of us. As disciples of Jesus, the goal for us is to live the life that Jesus would live if he were you. If Jesus lived in your community, if Jesus worked in your workplace, if Jesus had the same friends, lived in the same neighborhood, did the same things, was a part of the same hobbies, how would he live out your life if he were you? If he had the same giftedness and skills and all the things that you've been given by the Father, how would Jesus live if he were you? And, and the problem with aspirations is we all have them. I, I want to lose weight. I just don't wanna exercise. Right? I, I would love to learn how to play guitar. I've wanted to do that since I was a kid. You know what I never do? Pick up a guitar. I have an aspiration of wanting to do it. We, we all have these things, and some of them are silly, but some of them are actually meaningful and matter to us, where we have this aspiration of wanting to do it, but our actual life and our intentions don't line up with our practices. But Jesus sees. He sees us as we really are, and he invites us into a place of growth. He invites us into a place where we can actually become the people that he's called us to be. And so I want to look at the four invitations of Jesus. Uh, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, John the Baptist's disciples start following Jesus. So there's this amazing moment where Jesus is baptized. John the Baptist says, follow him and not follow me which I've never seen a pastor do in my life. Right? He says to his flock, hey, there's one, somebody better than me. Go follow that guy. Uh, all right? go, go pursue that guy. Go hang out with that guy. And, and they start awkwardly kind of following behind Jesus. I imagine this the way that I imagine like a kid that wants to play basketball on the courts out there but is not getting in the game. So he just kind of hovers around the court, just kind of shoots some jumpers in between the game, is waiting for an invitation to be invited to play the game. John's disciples awkwardly have left the guy with the locust in the wilderness and are now following Jesus in some way, but they're just kind of lagging behind, hovering, waiting to be noticed, waiting for somebody to do something to them. And Jesus turns to them and he says, what do you want? I love that. You know that's the number one question that Jesus asks? The question that he asks the most, what do you want? What do you want? And the reply is, where are you staying? And then Jesus makes this first invitation. He says, come and see. Come and see. 
Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the day, in the afternoon. This is the first invitation that Jesus makes to many of his disciples. It's this philosophy that comes out of Psalms 34, verse 8. It's this taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. There's this invitation to just come and see. There's this invitation to just be with Jesus. And here's what I believe, without a shadow of a doubt. I believe that if Jesus walked into this room right now, he would, he would offer to us the same four invitations that he offered to his disciples. The question would be, how will we respond to it? Come and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Are you interested in what's happening? Well, a lot of times when people come and talk to me about Grace Marietta, and they're like, hey, should I be a part of this church? Should I come and be a part of this? My invitation is, I don't know, come and see. Hang out with us for a while. Spend some Sundays with us. Eat some meals in our homes. Spend some time with us. And if there's something good there that can be received, then stay. If there's not, there's lots of other good churches in town. All right? Come and see. Come and check it out. And, and Jesus invites them to just be in a posture of curiosity. He invites people to just come and rest and, and, and be with him and, and just spend time with him. And, and the question that I have is, how often do we invite our neighbors to do the same? How often are the people of God the ones who are making the come and see invitation to our neighbors and to the world around us? And is that invitation even good? We want to be imitators of Christ. Uh, it, it, the scripture talks a lot about this idea of discipleship is about imitation, it's this model of imitating and be a model that others can imitate. One of the toughest questions that was ever asked to me is if anybody was to look at your life, Ben, would they actually want to imitate it? Do they actually see something good in you that makes them want to come and see? Because the people that were following Jesus knew that Jesus had something there. There was a gravitas, there was a teaching, there was authority, there was a power, there was a spiritual uh, authority that was on Jesus so that people wanted to follow him and wanted to walk with him. And the question for us, one, is will we come and see what Jesus is doing? Will we make space in our life to actually be with him and, and be around him and, and, and spend time with him? And then the second question is, will we invite others to come and see as well? Well, we invite others into those spaces. The second invitation is to follow me. John 1, verse 43 says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Pretty simple. It's not just come and see. It's not just, hey, we're staying over at the Holiday Inn, we're hanging out, we're doing some prayer things and some teachings, and I'll probably do some healings. Come and see, come and check it out. It's no, it's a different invitation. It's actually come, it's actually follow me. Which for the disciples meant leaving everything and following. It was a surrendering everything. It was a, I'm gonna leave something behind so that I can experience the invitation of Jesus. And here's what I view in the American church. A lot of us in the American church, we wanna follow Jesus without ever leaving anything behind. And so we wanna follow him but we want to follow him at a distance as long as it's appropriate for our schedule, our calendar, our needs, our wants, our desires, all of those kinds of things. Jesus' second invitation is a deeper call. It's moving people from just checking things out, just consuming and being a part of it, to actually an invitation to say, no, I want you to follow me, which means I'm inviting you to obey. 
I'm not just inviting you to check it out and see if it's good. The invitation is obedience. The invitation to follow a rabbi was an enormous invitation in that moment. It was an invitation to learn from that rabbi. They would talk about you would learn a rabbi's yoke. You would learn that rabbi's teaching. You would learn the authority in which he taught. And so if you said, I'm going to follow a rabbi, that meant that you were going to learn their way. We've been talking about the way of Jesus. You were going to learn, how does this rabbi teach? How does this rabbi pray? How does this rabbi, and you're learning all the things that your rabbi does so that you can go and do the same thing. And so the invitation of Jesus to follow the rabbi was moving from just checking things out to actually moving towards obedience. And the question for us today is, do we have rhythms of obedience in our life? Do we actually move ourselves to a space where we want to listen and follow and share what he does? And let's get even more complicated about it. Do we ask anybody else to follow us? And would we even be worth following if we did? Do we actually have anything to give to the next generation? Statistics are coming out now that are suggesting that we have completely lost the next generation. That within 10 years... Uh, people under the age of 30 will be attending the church at about a 5% number. One of the reasons why is because we haven't invited them to follow us. We've not invited them into spaces where they can actually walk with us. Invitation number three is I will make. Matthew 4.19 says, come and follow me. He comes up with the second invitation, but he also says this, and I will make you fishers of men. It's not just an invitation into following and into obedience, it's an invitation into transformation. Jesus actually invites us to be transformed by him. His invitation to Peter and Andrew and Matthew is different than the invitation, follow me, because he invites them not to simply to be followers, but to be transformed, not simply to be with him, but to become like him. And so this invitation says, listen, if you follow me, here's the, here's the result, Here's the transformation that's going to happen. And there is this leaving, there is this resisting of the world, there is this learning of a new way, and there is this transformation that comes with it. Are we willing to have our lives reoriented around the transformation of Jesus? Like how far are we willing to go to follow him? How submissive and surrendered are we to Jesus so that we can actually be transformed? Because so often we want Jesus' way, but we want it delivered in our timing. We want the good stuff of Jesus, but we want it all delivered in our way and in our timing. And so do we actually create space to be transformed? Are we actually in a place where we believe that education is not the same thing as formation? And we don't just want to be educated in the things of Jesus. I think the Christian church in America is overly educated and underly obedient. I think we know way more than we need to about Jesus. That's why I don't get super bogged down in certain theological gray areas and wrestling those things out and debating those things out and talking about those things. I would rather us be obedient to the first thing. Do we love our neighbors? Let's start there. Once we figure that out, then we can talk about the end times. <laughs> right? But let's start loving our neighbors first, right? I think if Jesus is in the room right now and he's saying to me, hey, Ben, this is what I want you to preach on. He's not saying, hey, let's sort out the end times. I think he's saying, teach and train your people to love their neighbors. 
Teach people to be good husbands and good fathers and good mothers and good wives. Teach your kids to obey. Teach people. Train them up in the way they should go so that when they grow older, they won't depart from it. The fourth invitation is, is probably the toughest of all of them, and it's go and make. Matthew 28, 19, this is Jesus' final words. This, the final words of Jesus to his disciples is this, therefore, go and make. He says, do all the things that I did. Every invitation that I made to you, go make it to everybody else. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He tells them to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Start where you're at and grow out. Start where you're at and, 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 and actually go and make disciples. And, 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 and the question for us is, are we actually making disciples? We gotta start with the question, are we actually disciples? And then move towards the place, are, are we actually making disciples? Are we raising up the next generation? Are, are we investing in somebody? One of the things we talked about when, early on when I first came here was everybody should have a Paul and everybody should have a Timothy. Everybody should have somebody that's pouring into you, that's investing into you, that's discipling you, that's, that's caring for you, that's pouring into you. And if you don't have a person like that, there's lots of them in this room who I would suggest would be wonderful. But we also need to have a Timothy. We've gotta have somebody else who we're investing in, who we're pouring into. My son taught the student ministry this week. He's 17. He's not in here, and I'm not sure how good it was. But... The, 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 the Wednesday night ministry of our, of our students is all middle schoolers. And so Grant and Meredith, in their infinite wisdom, said, Kaden, why don't you come and teach? And he's raising up the next generation. He's investing in others as others are investing in him. And so as Grant and some of the other leaders, Avery and Zach and all the other leaders that are over there are pouring themselves out into Caden, Caden is learning to pour himself out into the middle school students of our church. That is the methodology we want in the Grace family lived out everywhere. My vision long-term would be that all of our kids' things down there are led by middle schoolers. All of our middle school stuff is led by high schoolers. All of our high school stuff is led by college students, that we're raising up multi-generational faithfulness in our communities, in our churches, and discipleship rules and reigns because we take serious the call of Jesus to go and to make. Here's where this gets hard, though. Because we have to have an honest moment about these invitations. Because we all know these invitations exist. I didn't just, if you've been in the church for a long time, I haven't shared anything with you that you're not familiar with. What we have to talk about is what is our response to these invitations. What we have to discuss is why we don't live into these invitations. So as I coach leaders, there's a simple framework and a simple tool that I use to help diagnose problems in our churches. Because sometimes what we do is we try and solve the right problem in the wrong way. And so we diagnose the problem correctly, but we have the wrong uh, subscription, or wrong idea of how we're actually going to solve that challenge. And so a simple tool that we've used in training leaders is that there's three challenges that we all struggle with to move from intention to practice. So in moving from this is my aspirational values to this is my actual values, the three challenges we wrestle with is we don't know how to, we don't have the will to, or we simply don't want to. And so I wanna start with a how-to challenge. A how-to challenge means I wanna do it. 
I genuinely want to do the four things that Jesus has invited me into. I just don't know how. This is the easiest one to diagnose. This is the easiest thing to fix. Because if we don't know how, all we have to do is train. Right? Training's easy. If we don't know how to do something, we just, we figure it out. I, I promise you, if you gave me an hour with anybody in this room, I can make your jump shot better. Let me go out in the basketball court with you. Let me spend 60 minutes with you, and I will teach you how to. I'll get your elbow in. I'll get your release right. We'll start working on it. We'll get work on your feeding. Beef, balance, elbow, eyes, follow through, right? We'll do all of these things. I got all this stuff because I'm a basketball coach. Give me some time, and I can train you how to. I don't care how bad you are, even Douglas, right? We can get it better. We can do all those things, right? We can do all those things. We, but but the, it, the how-to challenge is easy. It's just simple. Like my, my son's learning to drive right now. It's terrible. But the issue isn't that he doesn't want to drive. He wants to drive. The issue is that he doesn't have the discipline to drive. He's got the discipline to do it. The issue is he doesn't know how to drive, so he keeps trying to use two feet. Right? The issue is he's driving into other people's yards accidentally. Right? The issue is I'm terrified of what's going to happen to my car when he's in it. Right? All of these things are the issue, and so it's just got to be solved with training. But the problem is, is oftentimes what we do is we try and diagnose um, want-to or will-to problems with how-to solutions. And so when we don't know how to, we just need a teacher. We just need a coach. We need somebody to train us. Can I just say, any challenge you are facing in your life right now, in this room, there are people that are amazing coaches and trainers and disciples. Any, here, here's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ. Any heartbreak that you're walking through, there's somebody in this room who's experienced it before and has walked through it. We were at a party yesterday, and my wife just grabbed a bunch of moms who are teenage moms and who, whose kids are older and have grown up, and she's like, I just need you to help me a little bit with my daughter. She's 12. She's going on 17. The attitude is, has gone to zero to 100 real quick, right? And, and I don't know what to do with it. This is what we need. This is what the body of Christ does. We train each other how to. We walk beside each other in those situations. The second challenge is a will-to challenge. This is where it gets a lot more complicated because it's not as simple as somebody needs to teach me how. This is the, the challenge is I know how to and I actually have the desire to. I just don't have the discipline to. This takes some honesty. And this honestly takes repentance in our life. It takes a moment of saying, listen, here's, here's the situation for me. This is why I don't live into this spiritual discipline. The truth is I'm just not disciplined enough to do it. It's not that I don't know how. I know how to sit down and read my Bible. I just don't make space for it. I just don't make time for it. I just don't do all of these things. I, I, we just lose track of our time, and it takes humility and honesty to step into that. The problem is we pretend as if our will is not our own, and we imagine that somebody else controls our will. And so what we do is we, we're great at making excuses for why we don't do the things that we know we're supposed to do. And the greatest lies that we tell are always the lies that we tell ourselves, right? So we tell ourselves, I'm too busy. We tell ourselves, my schedule's just out of control. I know I'm supposed to be spending time with the Lord. I know I'm supposed to be reading my Bible. I know I'm supposed to be praying for others. I know I'm supposed to be loving my neighbor. I know I'm supposed to be sharing my faith. I know I'm supposed to be doing all of these things, but the problem is I believe that my will is not my own. 
and I haven't taken control of my own life. Every single one of us in this room have the exact same amount of hours that we live into every day. And here's the reality. I don't care how busy your job is. I don't care how bad your boss is. I don't care how overwhelmed you are with yard work. Those leaves are coming down, right? No matter what, all of those things are happening. Every single one of us makes the choice every day for what we do. I decided yesterday I was going to watch football and not read my Bible. I read it early in the morning, but I, 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 like we make those decisions every day, right? We make those choices over and over again. I could have read my Bible for 24 hours yesterday. I didn't. I chose to do other things. Like we choose the way that we want to live and we make excuses about it. So, so the question is like when the bell actually sounds, Will we get up off the mat and will we do the things that we're supposed to do? Working out right now is a will issue for me. Because I know how to go to the gym and I know what I'm supposed to do. I actually want to because I know that I'm healthier when I do it. But I keep lying to myself and telling myself I don't have the time and the margin to do it right now. When the truth is, I have the margin to do a bunch of stupid stuff every day. I play video games. Like, my wife looked at me one day and she was like, you are never allowed to say you don't have time as long as you're playing video games. If you play five minutes of video games a day, you are not allowed to say that you don't have time for other things. <laughs> Sorry, young people in the room. Uh, the, the, the issue is, are we gonna actually take control of our own lives? And are we actually gonna say, you know what, these aren't easy things to solve. So here's what I need in a will to challenge. I need accountability. I need somebody who I look at and say, hey, I have to start working out. I'm not doing it. I'm putting it on my calendar this week. I need you to hold me accountable to actually going to the gym three days this week. And I need somebody who loves me enough, who's not gonna, you know, be a jerk about it, but is gonna invite me into a deeper place. I need to ask Jesus for discipline. I need to just ask him. I need to surrender my will for God's will. And surrender is hard. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And as he's teaching them how to pray, he says this. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the posture of our lives. If we are surrendered to Jesus, then our posture is always, your will is greater than my will. And so if I'm not disciplined enough, I need you to teach me and train me how to be disciplined enough so that I can live out the things that you've called me to. The last challenge is a want to challenge. And this is the hardest space. And I actually believe that this is the space where a lot of the church is living right now. We've been through a really difficult couple years. And everybody's tired. And everybody feels a little emotionally thin. And everybody feels a little worn out. And over the last two years, I cannot tell you how many pastoral conversations I've had with people who say, Ben, I just don't want to do that. I know I'm supposed to want that, but I don't even want it. I've talked to a lot of people who just say, I don't want to come to church right now. Why? Because I got in the habit of being at home. Because it's easy for me to come once every six weeks. Because it's easy for me to show up when, I'm, when it's convenient and when I'm not tired and when we get an extra hour of sleep. I noticed our attendance is a lot higher this week. We got an extra hour of sleep than it was last week when the Braves game was on Saturday night. 
right? The reality for many of us is we just, we just don't want to. And transforming our wants is the hardest thing. Discipleship is actually this process of reorienting our loves that are out of order. Because the reality for all of us is we love ourselves more than we love Jesus. We love ourselves more than we love our neighbor. We love ourselves more than we love our spouse. We love ourselves more than we love our kids. And Jesus is teaching us and training us over and over and over again to lay down ourself for others. Um, and so because I love myself more than others, it's hard for me to be generous sometimes. It's hard for me to be generous with my time. It's hard for me to be generous with my money. Because I love myself more than uh, I, I, I love others, sometimes it's hard for me to forgive because I just don't want to forgive. Sometimes I, I, I just don't want to love my neighbor. I have a neighbor that's super annoying. Like super, like really, you guys would agree with me if I told you stories. He's hard to love. Uh, we, we, we've recently, as a staff, we've had a couple different conversations as we talk about the vision and the dreams of the church, this idea of awakening the kingdom dreams, this idea of every single believer going out and not just living in community, but living on mission, actually evangelizing, actually reaching the neighbor, actually loving our neighborhood and community. And, and, and as we've had this conversation, we've had a couple people that have come to us and said, like, hey, I love this idea of like the kingdom dreams thing, but I, I, I got to be honest, I don't want to do it. Uh, somebody actually said to us, this is a really sneaky way for you guys to not do your jobs. And I want to bring some challenge there. Because you can't outsource your spiritual responsibilities. Because you tithe to the missionaries that are serving in the Muslim worlds, that doesn't let you off the hook of living that out in your daily life. Because you show up on Sunday and sit in the same pew every single week does not release you from the responsibility of investing in the next generation. And maybe it's the opposite way around. Maybe you're super passionate about mission. You're just not super passionate about community. And you're great at loving your neighbor and you're great at out there reaching, doing evangelism, those kinds of things, but you don't actually want to be in relationship with people. You know what I've never heard a pastor getting fired for? not having people in his home. Never heard that. I've never heard that of like, they don't invite people, they don't care for people, they don't invest in people, they don't do those kinds of things. But maybe we should. Maybe we should. We should be investing in these kinds of things and pouring out ourselves in these kinds of things because we don't get off the hook because we do one thing and get off the hook with others. Jesus' invitation is for all of us to do all of these things, to know him, to love him, to care for others, to disciple others, to live on mission, to live out our kingdom dreams in the places that you've called, called, he's called you to. In Mark chapter 10, there's the story of the rich young ruler. Here's what I want you to listen to. I'm going to read this, and it's up on the screen here. And as I do, I want you to listen to what's Jesus' invitation for the rich young ruler. Mark 10, 17 through 22 as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I have to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. 
And he said to him, teacher, all of these things I have done and I have kept these from my youth. And Jesus looked at him with love. I love this. It's always Jesus' posture before he says something hard. He looked at him with love and he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. How many times have you read this and think Jesus is kind of a jerk? No one's willing to admit that, but I have. Because this guy has all the things you would want in a good disciple. Just even in his name, there's two things in his name. There are three things in his name that are, that are like, oh, this is a good disciple material here. He's rich. I'm just, I'm just saying, that's not a bad thing for a church to have. He's young, right? We gotta move this drum cage next Saturday. I'm not leaning on the old people in the church. I need a young guy to help with that, right? Actually, we are leaning on the old people, so if young people could step up with that, talk, <laughs> talk to Rick Gates. Uh, we, we, we're gonna move that. But we, he's young, and then he's a ruler, right? He actually knows how to lead, all of these things. He says, I've actually followed the commands. I've done all of these things. He's a perfect disciple. The problem is he doesn't want to. And so Jesus' invitation to him is not just go sell all your stuff. The moral of the story is not all of us need to go right now and get on eBay and sell everything that we have. The invitation that Jesus gave to the rich young ruler is follow me. It's the same invitation he gave to all his other disciples. The difference between the rich young ruler and all of them is they left everything behind to follow him and he wouldn't because he didn't want to. His name would be Todd or Bill or Charlie if he had said yes. And there would have been 13 followers and not 12. But he said no. This is the challenge for us. The challenge for us is to actually want something that we don't want. And listen, I have tons of empathy and compassion for this right now because I'm finding myself in the same place. I'm finding myself in positions where I'm like, oh, golly, I don't even know if I want this anymore. This is hard. And here's the only thing I know to do with a want-to challenge is to ask Jesus to give you a new heart. One is to name where your heart actually is. Jesus, I don't want to do this. Honestly, I don't want to do it. But I need you to teach me how to want it. I need you to stir up some desire inside of me for it. I need you to train me and teach me to walk this out over and over and over again. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put it within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. So as you start thinking, we're gonna dive in next week into really practical things. Matt Reynolds is gonna come and he's gonna talk to us about rest and Sabbath and all of these things. And we're gonna start charting out an actual rule of life, which means I hope that everybody in this room will begin charting out some actual disciplines that we're gonna say we're gonna practice in and be formed in between now and the beginning of the year next year. 
We're gonna taste and see. We're gonna come and see for a little while and try these things out, and if they're good, we're gonna stick with it. Think of a rule of life almost like a spiritual budget, right? It's not something that we're tied to, but it's the trellis that helps us grow. And so we're gonna invite everybody to think about rhythms of rest, rhythms of mission, rhythms of discipleship, rhythms of relationship. In all of those rhythms, what are the things that we're committing to as a church family so that we can actually practice the Sermon on the Mount and not just learn about the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, and so as Matt comes, I, I really want today to be just a search my heart and know me kind of moment. The prayer team's gonna come up here in a minute. The band's gonna come up and they're gonna be on the side here. And, and I really want you to ask yourself right now, when you think about the spiritual disciplines in your own life, when you think about the four invitations of Jesus, is the challenge for you a how-to challenge, a will-to challenge, or a challenge? Is it that I need to know how and I don't know how and I need to just be humble enough to ask for help? Is it a will thing where I, I know what I'm supposed to do, I just don't have the will to do it right now and I need to be more disciplined and I need some accountability and I need some structure? Or is it a want to? I genuinely right now just don't want this. And can you be humble enough to pray and say to Jesus, I want the kingdom. I want you. All the songs we sang about loving Jesus at the front of the service, or I felt like there was an atmosphere that shifted in the room in that, in that moment. When all of those things are going on, the question is, do we really want that stuff? Do we want to love him? Do we want to pour out ourselves for him? Do we want all of those things to happen? Because you can't solve a how-to problem with more will or more desire. And you can't solve a will-to problem with more hows and wants. And you can't solve a want-to problem with hows and wills. We have to actually define where we are in order to name where we're going. I, I travel a lot, and, and I'm, I'm really bad with technology. I don't know if anybody else is with me on that, but I don't know how to work most of anything that turns on and has power, uh, including my phone. And so as I travel, I'll often get a rental car, and I get in my car, and, and in the garage where you're in the rental car space, the GPS doesn't work. And so I'm trying to type into the car. First, it takes me like 40 minutes. I just sit in the rental car place for like 40 minutes trying to figure out how to link my phone to the car. I don't know if anybody else has this. There's like 85 other people that have figured this out before me. It's like <laughs> Jeff's phone is hooked up to it and Charlie's, like there's all these different things that are, and I can't figure out how to do it. So I sit there for 40 minutes and I finally get it and I plug in my location and then the thing just starts spinning. And the reason it spins is because it, it doesn't know where I am. And so if we really wanna set out on any kind of journey, we've gotta start with the radical reality of this is where I am today. You cannot get to where you're going until you name where you are. And so are we willing today to have an honest look at ourselves, to see ourselves clearly, to ask Jesus to give us wisdom and insight into our own hearts and our own desires and our own wants? And are we willing to say to him, Jesus, are there areas of my life where I need to learn how to? And what do I need to do to go seek that out? Are there areas of my life where I need the will to? And what do I do with that? And are there areas of my life where I've just lost the want to and I need you to give me a new heart? And if that's what you want today, I wanna invite you to pray for it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. 
Anything you ask in my name, anything you ask Jesus that aligns with the heart and the kingdom and the things that he desires for you, if Jesus wills it, he makes it happen. And so when we align our hearts with him, when we walk in his way, something beautiful begins to happen and something new bursts forth into the world. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that here's what Jesus is looking for in his church. He's looking for soft hearts that want to follow him. Not hardened hearts that have their way figured out and are bickering about everything and arguing about every direction, but soft hearts that just say, I wanna obey you, I wanna follow you, I wanna go where you lead. And I think when Jesus finds a group of people that have soft hearts and are willing to walk into these four invitations, the breakthrough that can come is greater than anything we could ever imagine or hope for. And I've been grieving, I'm gonna be honest, I've been grieving for about a year that our church isn't what it was two years ago. And I walk in here almost every Sunday and I grieve over the fact that we're not two services. And I grieve over the fact that we're barely paying our bills. And I grieve over the fact that there's a bunch of people that I loved who aren't sitting here anymore. And I'm done grieving. I'm laying it down to Jesus right now. And I'm saying, I'm done grieving over what we're not. And I'm gonna start pursuing who we are. And right now in this room is a group of people who if we decided to follow Jesus with all of our hearts, if we left behind the world with reckless abandoned and we said, I'm gonna do everything I possibly can to reach Wheeler High School, then I promise you re redemption's gonna come. I promise you revival's gonna come. Everything that's been stolen over the last two years in the church, the Lord is ready to give back if our hearts are aligned with him and we're willing to obey. And so I'm going, I don't care if anybody's going with me. I'm thinking through this stuff in my own life I got some want-tos I gotta figure out. I got some will-tos I gotta figure out. And I got some how-tos that I gotta figure out. And I just need to be humble enough to say, Jesus, teach me the things I don't know. Teach me to be faithful. I, I believe today that there's somebody in this room who doesn't know Jesus. And all of these invitations are cool and fun, but you're like, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. And I think today is a day of salvation. And I think there's somebody in this room who needs to make the brave step of just saying, today, I wanna give my life to Jesus. Which means everything that I have belongs to him. Which means starting today, I'm gonna start anew. And today's gonna be the day that I mark on my calendar and say, from this day forward, I'm following Jesus in this way. And if that's you, I've been praying for you for about seven straight days that you would have the courage in this moment to stand up and go talk to our prayer chief. And so Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would stir something up in this room. I pray right now that you would stir up a passion for us to be obedient and to follow you. I pray that you would just crumble hearts of stone right now and turn them soft. I pray that you would teach us to want and desire your kingdom to want and desire your life and the life that you called us to. And I pray that we would get up off the mat and be obedient. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're gonna do in the next few months. Thank you, Jesus, that everything that's been stolen is gonna be given back. And thank you for the revival that awaits for us. And between now and then, I pray that you'd rise up the leaders that you need 
the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Raise up the workers, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I, I think something really powerful happens, guys, when we make some sort of public declaration. I really do. I don't know how this works. I don't know why it works this way, but I think sometimes just standing up and walking to the front and saying, I want my heart to change. There's power in that. And so I think there's an opportunity for every single one of you in this room, if you're looking at your life and saying, man, I want it to look different in a few months. I just want to invite you to stand up, walk to our prayer team and have them pray for you. Uh, Every single week, I know these leaders that pray with people in our church and I benefit so much from the fact that I humble myself enough to say, will you pray for me? And I walk up to them and I let them pray for me. And I feel every single Sunday like, man, we're missing out. Everybody's missing out on an opportunity to get some good stuff right now. Uh, So don't miss out. Don't miss out. In this moment, I think God's working and I think there's something powerful for all of us. I've, I've talked too much about it. I'm gonna let the worship team lead us. We're gonna move into a time of communion. There's communion stations set up all over the room. This is a time for us just to reflect on the message and just to honestly say, all right, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Search my heart and know me. Find the prayer team, worship together, take communion. We love you guys.